Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right, this is a very special episode of Cloud and Clear because I have one of our board members on for the first time. Please welcome Wendy Pfeiffer. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been following you and and your career. Of course, you're the current CIO of Nutanix, a publicly traded company, 7,000 employees. You also serve on the board of Qualys, who's also publicly traded, and then our board. Um, I mean, what a, what a combination. It really is. It really is. Um, and it's really a delight to serve on all of these boards. Um, I, and I'm really, you know, very thoughtful about who I choose to be associated with. And I have to believe in the technology and the team and the leadership and, and also that I can do something that I can be of service to, to that company. And so um, when it comes to SADA systems, I mean, um, it's just such an honor to be associated with you and the fine company that you've built. We're just getting started. <laughs> That's for sure. We turned 20 on August 16th of this year, and we feel like we're, we're just getting started. Um, having having a board that's active and independent is just such an important part of the equation for us as we look forward five to 10 years. I, I just feel like there's uh, so much potential. This is like the most exciting space to be in, in the most exciting and challenging time. And, and having your, your thoughtful guidance uh, already has been, you know, extremely meaningful. So I want to thank you for that. Um, and the feelings mutual. I feel super fortunate to have you. Um, awesome. Well, are we done now? Is that yeah, it? Or... <laughs> awesome. <laughs> the shortest episode ever. Right. Uh, no, no. But, you know, like I, I've tracked you. You have a very outward um, brand and posture in uh, the ecosystem, in the technology sector. Um, you speak all the time, you write all the time, and it's always so, 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 so thought provoking and interesting. And part of our listeners are probably wondering, you know, what makes Wendy, Wendy, how does she get to this position? What's her story? Because being, um, a leader in technology, uh, especially as a woman, but just in general, like your career trajectory and story is so fascinating. I'm sure a lot of our young listeners are like, I want to be Wendy one day when I grow up. So how did that all happen? Well, um, it was super simple. I went to a four-year university, got a degree, applied for my first job. No, <laughs> it was, it was uh, honestly, um, I would, I'm asked often, um, you know, how do I become a CIO or how do I become a CIO and a board member, um, especially as a female or, you know, a person who um, comes from some sort of disadvantage? Um, and the short answer is um, you really have to want it. You have to keep showing up every day. My, my, my work theory in life is that if you just keep showing up every day, eventually they have to give it to you. And, and if you don't do that, if you, if you get upset and you take your toys and you go home on a regular basis, then you won't progress. And so I think my story is fairly unique to me. 
Uh, I was raised by loving parents. I have an older sister who's eight years older, amazing person. Um, and she left uh, while I was still in school to become a missionary. And my parents were so proud of her. And um, I did not wish to become a missionary on any level at all. And so I was, you know, automatically a disappointment. Um, and and what's, what's worse, I was this sort of science math geek nerd person. Uh, and so, um, you know, I uh, ended up being accepted into a program at NASA Ames Research Center. Wow. It, was, it was the Space Biology Research Program. And uh, when I was in high school, when I was 16, um, I applied and was accepted to this program. Um, and, and got to spend a day every week of high school uh, on the NASA Ames Research Center campus working on cockpit displays of traffic information. And I remember when I shared that information with my parents, um, they were disappointed. Um, and, and I remember the lecture. I remember the lecture was, you know, um, look, you know, there's no way that you should skip any of your schooling to, to chase after this thing. There are no jobs for women in, you know, science and math and geeky things like that. Um, and so I, I made a bargain with my parents that if I could be a part of this program at NASA Ames, that in the evenings I would study um, secretarial skills so that I could support oh my myself. God. And so um, to this day, I type about 100 words a minute, no errors. <laughs> I can, you know, take dictation. I'm not as good with the 10 key anymore. Um, but, but ultimately, that was the era in which uh, I was raised. And, and you know, so I, I, I would like to say that from then on, everything was, you know, sweetness and light, light and roses and so on. But um, actually, uh, I think that what has fueled me from that day to this has been uh, an abiding sense of uh, anger and frustration. Um, and, you know, so I don't recommend that uh, to, to all of our young listeners, um, except for that, I think it's okay to um, accept who you genuinely are, what genuinely matters to you. And, and instead of um, trying to downplay things that seem negative, about yourself or your background or your upbringing, use that to fuel your hunger, use right. that to fuel your progress. And, and uh, so, so that's sort of the, you know, emotional side. On the career side, uh, I just, from, from that day till this, I have only chosen to be associated with companies whose product is meaningful to me. Uh, it doesn't have to be profoundly meaningful. It can just be cool as well. But I need to care about what the company does. So, uh, you know, I worked uh, at Yahoo uh, way back in the day when Yahoo was making uh, what is today the, the modern internet. Uh, right. I worked at Cisco Systems uh, back when Cisco Systems was deploying the first ever um, Cisco Connection Online, which, which has been inducted into the Smithsonian is, as the first example of, a, of an e-commerce model. Uh, and I was fascinated with that. I worked at GoPro because, um, I mean, it's the best darn action camera on earth. Uh, and I loved being C CIO there as, as they were building out the company. Um, and so that's just sort of been uh, my path. It, it's a little um, 
schizophrenic, I'd say, and uh, I haven't always made the best business decisions, but as the years have passed and I've become a parent and I have responsibilities, financial responsibilities, I've become more discerning in choosing companies that are both strong in business terms as well as strong in technical terms and, and, and market terms. Ultimately, um, I don't come from rich people. I need to work. Um, I also married an amazing musician who is uh, just creative and artistic and uh, brings all the love and warmth and color to our life uh, that, that I have longed for. Um, but, uh, you know, he's not super rich either. Um, the, the life of an artist is, is uh, uh, satisfying in, in other ways. So I've also always had to keep uh, my head uh, and, my, and my feet in, in the business world and in the financial world and make sure that I understand the implications of the choices that I'm making and the things that I'm doing. One of the key roles that we imagine that our board seats, like one of the seats to occupy would be the voice of the customer, of our mm -hmm. typical customer or our aspirational customer, which is the enterprise CIO and their teams who make a lot of their technology and strategic decisions that are supposed to line up well with line of business objectives, etc. And um, for us, I don't know, it was almost like from a professional standpoint, you know, love at first sight. And we moved very quickly. If, if you recall, I think it was like mm -hmm. two, like two phone calls and like, yes, please join our board and yes, let's do this. But the right. first time I really, because I do, I don't know, I, I tend to uh, understand very quickly if I feel like someone's a fit in our world and, and all those things. Um, sometimes you just have that feeling and, and, you know, usually I've been, I've been right. But the first time, <laughs> It was so clear to me that we made the right choice. I remember when you came to our all hands mm -hmm. um, in January, you know, when people still could get together in person. That right. Was nice. <laughs> Way back then. <laughs> Way back then in January. <laughs> and you, you wanted to speak to our sales organization. And the way that you articulated, like, this is what a CIO does at a large publicly traded enterprise. This is my job. This is how I engage with vendors and with partners and with sales folks. And it was concurrently like, you know, the comedy store <laughs> for me. Like it was both a stand-up act, but like full of the type of direct communication messaging that probably no enterprise sales teams ever hear. Mm -hmm. because they don't get to engage in the same space with the potential CIO. The CIO is always like on the other side, uh, hard to access, wouldn't tell them what they're thinking anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, ever since then, I was like, wow, this, this person really has a very unique perspective and is willing to share. And then since then, I've just seen you, especially in the midst of uh, COVID-19, the response of which, at least for Nutanix and probably to some extent at Qualys and certainly your influence, how we think about it at Sada, like that, that really fell on your shoulders. Like that transition from moving 7,000 employees to a different way of working. And by the way, all of Nutanix's customers, you, you have to be front and center in that whole period of time. So, and you've written a lot about this, but would you mind sharing with, uh, with our listeners just what that transition's been like, what you've discovered, mm -hmm. highlights, lowlights. 
Yeah. Um, you know, Tony, um, I, I, most of us are, are imperfect people and, um, you know, many of us find ourselves in, in positions of leadership, uh, you know, and, and feel inadequate to those tasks. Um, I particularly believe that I was drawn to a career in technology because, you know, in general, for most of my life, I've functioned pretty low on the EQ scale. I, I'm not, a, a, you know, a natural uh, lover of people. I haven't been a natural um uh, you know, uh, role model. Um, That's so and, hard to believe, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so, you know, um, what I have uh, just gotten some love for is, is technical people. Um, I see... I see technical people, you know, sort of, sort of in color, whereas everything else is is gray. Um, you know, technical people have these amazing abilities and these amazing ideas, but so often they're uh, they're, you know, thwarted from getting those ideas to see the light of day to be realized because of their inability to understand the layers on which. Um, uh, commerce happens and interaction happens and essentially the way the game is played. Um, th there's so many invisible rules to how people interact and how people uh, build things and, and how you get uh, you know, support and success and so on. And so as a, as a manager and a leader of people, I started trying to understand uh, look, how can I unleash the capabilities in the teams that report to me? How can I do that without having to micromanage or without uh, just relying on random things? And I realized that there was a way to create a knowledge base of, of the meaning of interactions for people who could study that knowledge base and learn um, in, in ways that are, that are more, um, more natural for them than uh, would be for you know, very gregarious, outgoing people. And so I started focusing on how do I take you know, a, a quiet, uh, maybe um, you know, malcontent, um, but super brilliant genius engineer uh, who's, who's usually male um, and give him the ability to um, engage powerfully with peers, with superiors, et cetera, so that he could represent his own ideas, get his own budgets and deliver. And in the process of doing that, I realized that, oh, wow, it's, it's kind of not just, that's not just a challenge with, um, you know, male engineers, that's a challenge for all of us. There's this, there's this layer of invisibility in our interactions. We don't know not only how the other person is thinking, but we don't know the filters through which they are hearing and receiving the information that we're sharing. And so, um, you know, I realize that uh, the most powerful thing that I can do as a leader is to be um, massively transparent about how I'm thinking, what I'm doing, how things work, uh, to, to put that data out there so that uh, each individual with their, with their individual knowledge base can ingest that data and analyze it and categorize it and figure out what it means to them. And so I've, I've endeavored to do that um, with, with great energy in every forum, every sector of my life. Um, and, and just to, to take it there, um, my husband, when we met, he said, you know, you are the first person who ever 
like explained um, this thing to me. You know, uh, it's, it's super mm -hmm. cool for, you know, women to be a mystery, but you're the first person that laid out like why you're thinking this way and how you're thinking this way and what that eye roll just meant. And, um, you know, I do that as well in my business dealings, mm. because I think that um, the more we understand each other, the, the better off we, we, we are. But also um, the fact is that, especially in the technology space, um, most of the people working, the makers in this space are male and most of the leaders in this space are male. And uh, they are as clueless about me as a female as um, you know my husband was. And, and and it's a real thing, and it's okay to talk about it. I think I, right. I you know, it, it really is a thing. Not all women are right. like me. Not all men are like that. But uh, yeah. you know, there sometimes there are reasons for stereotypes. Yeah, but like so much of um, our culture as as companies, our culture as leaders, has been um, whatever's underneath has been accentuated and exposed, and mm. some of it has been uh, things you didn't even know were there that you're super proud that they exist and mm. some of it was like oh these are these are the things that we've been ignoring and we're able to um keep unexposed because of just like running so fast and the status quo and just the modality of how we work and how we lead and how we think about the businesses and the people that work for us and and you know i think this this pandemic has really put it put everything on display right every inefficiency every deficiency Every superpower has become more relevant. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, I mean, let's let's get into it. First of all, um, there's so much about um, our humanity that is magnified uh, in this moment. Um, all of the sort of the norms, the the filters, um, the the traditions that we put. Um, between ourselves have been removed you know there's there's sort of yeah. a, a great great disintermediation and and now um you know you are seeing me speaking uh in you know in a room in my home uh you can see you know uh just sort of how i live um but there but it's more than that um as leaders it's it's an incredibly uncomfortable time it's, uh, you know, first of all, as human beings, we have our own uh, fears and reactions and challenges with the, the present moment. Um, many of us have, um, you know, extended family members in our homes that we wouldn't normally uh, be mm -hmm. with. Um, you know, we're, we have our own fears about illness and our own challenges there. Um, the, the economic situation is, is uh, scary globally. And, mm -hmm. and many, many people, I mean, even right now, um, uh, you know, 20% of, uh, you know, people who, who have the ability to work in the United States are unemployed. Um, th that's, a, that's a tremendous negative economic impact. Um, our, our education system is, is impacted. And in the midst of this, um, you know, you and I happen to be technology leaders. And so, you know, I know I passionately believe, and, and you do too, that, uh, you know, obviously we're not frontline workers, um, right. but, but um, technology is the key to how our society moves forward. Um, and, and so how we lead that technology process matters. And, and we're not just creating capability or capacity we're also creating 
a culture of how we work. Uh, the, the interaction designs um, th that are contained in the tools that we're using, um, the, the um, you know, the way that natural language processing works, um, the way that uh, we are blending consumer technology in our homes with enterprise technology and how those play together. Um, all of those things are, are uh, you know, sort of much larger factors. And then on top of that, we have this weird technical thing uh, that happens with uh, using technology for social networking. Right. And, and that's a thing that, um, look, face to face, um, I might be much more polite to you um, and actually much more thoughtful than I am when I think I am, uh, you know, remote from you and I'm just corresponding with you on a Facebook or a Twitter or whatever that might be. And so um, there's there's a much more um, confrontational culture that that has uh, developed online, yeah. and, and now um, in the midst of that already existing confrontational culture. Um, we are using those same conduits and technology and tools to lead, to manage, to inspire, to work, to make. And uh, it's bringing a really difficult element for those of us who are leaders. It's hard for us to make the decisions. It's hard for us to focus. It's hard for us to, to move things forward. But I believe it's more important than ever for technologists and leaders to, uh, to transform the way we are leading and to lead by example and, and to have strength during these times and, and to lead with purpose and, and to lead with, with uh, character. At the same time, I'm acutely aware, you know, like as we're sitting here and we're having this conversation, I have a job, I haven't lost my job. Um, yes. I, I'm fairly senior in my career, so I, I have enough money to, to survive and I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm also acutely aware that I am, you know, a 54-year-old white woman. And so many of my experiences are those of someone who has been a white woman for 54 years. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot that I don't understand about uh, the, the, the current social discourse. Um, and yet, as a leader, I need to understand and I need to reflect uh, appropriate values and, and, and in fact, um, impassioned values on the things that, that are important in moving society forward. And, and, you know, I'm a techie, I'm a nerd, like, honestly, like having just said all of that is, it's like crazy, <laughs> really the world uh, like needs to know that for me, like, can't I just sit in my cube and write code? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, uh, 2020 seems to want to test, uh, our humanity, our economic structure our social constructs like it wants to test everything like at mm -hmm. the same time and i think it, it has built on it on, on, on these things right i don't know if we'd be having the same conversations with black lives matter uh to the same degree if if, if all that didn't happen in the midst of COVID 19 and the way that it, it went down but before we go into that topic because it's such an important topic to keep talking about um even between two people who are not Black themselves and haven't lived that experience. Mm -hmm. But even before we get to that, I think what you said about how traditionally technology in our personal lives has created divisions more so, has created confrontation. People are just very uh, brash and impolite and rude and snarky uh, on some social platforms. And you know, look, I've always been the person, both of my, you know, 
family, personal life, but certainly in a business life. Like I'd always be like raising my hand, flying, getting on a plane because I knew that in-person interaction was more, I felt more valuable um, than doing, you know, video, which is what we have uh, now, the best that we have now. But how would you say though, your, your group and your organization, that's, that's just say the IT organization, but you can talk about broader Nutanix to, to the degree that you want to. How, like in the use of those same tools for work, do you feel like your teams are closer together or farther apart? Are they more collaborative or less collaborative? More productive, less productive? We are incredibly thoughtful about interaction design and interaction in, in my organization. And uh, we, we have been for some time. Uh, well, look, you know, we've been a global organization for some time, and right. so being being a global organization uh, sort of forces you to figure out um, how to make a a team that is always remote from one another productive. And so, you know, if, uh, when you're in technology, you know. If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So we're always looking for you know technical ways to 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 fix our challenges. Um, having said that, um, one of the things that's that's thrown um, you know a, a spanner in the works is the fact that in the past in IT we were somewhat able to control uh, the environment in which people worked, and so then we right. could. We could, you know, deliver technology into that environment, and sort of the the interaction design was known; it was set. But now, um, you know, we are delivering enterprise applications alongside of consumer applications, and those right. consumer applications were not developed to do business; they were developed to engage people. They were mm -hmm. in, they were developed to. Um, you know, increase the number of minutes, the amount of time that right. people spend on these things, right? And so, um, the the quality of of the user experience with those consumer applications and devices is profoundly better than the quality of enterprise applications and services and 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 what's delivered by enterprise vendors. And so now these things are being delivered alongside, you know, right. um, we're, you and I are having a conversation on, you know, my kid's gaming computer. Um, <laughs> and, and I can tell you that, um, you know, the graphics on those games are like way better than, um, <laughs> than these current graphics. Right. Mm. But, but at the moment, there's nothing you and I can do about that, but it is actually uh, IT's job and, and technologist's job to do something about that. So when I think about the productivity of my team, when I think about the enablement of my team, um, it gets back to understanding that as human beings, um, we have unique preferences, unique needs, unique ways of interacting. And whether you are a consumer technology provider or you are a, an enterprise technology provider, um, the key is providing personalized, um, optional technology and and capabilities, um, mm -hmm. and, and there's some great examples for that. You know, um, I often use this example because it was so powerful. When when we deploy new technologies in IT, 
um, we have all kinds of things we do, right? We have, um, you know, training, we have a little, you know, snippet videos that, that show various features of the product. We have a whole change management team, et cetera. Um, and we do that because we, we want people to understand how to use the applications and begin yeah. using them productively, right? Um, meanwhile, off in consumer land, um, uh, this, this little company released something called Pokemon Go. And uh, I don't know if you recall the statistics, but in the yeah. first day, first day, yeah. 10 million people downloaded and started that app and started, you know, catching all the Pokemon with no they training. could with, with no, no training. training, with no, <laughs> with never having seen even a technology like this before, yeah. let alone yeah. this app. <laughs> right. And so, the, so, you know, honestly, by the way, by the way that ran on GCP. It, so well, does. of so, course it does. Of course it does. Right. <laughs> so, so you look at something like that. Right. And what we realize is, you know, now in this time of, of COVID-19, IT organizations are saying, you know, uh, we really can't deploy anything new right now because, you know, we there's no way like how would we get user adoption and how would we yeah. handle training and so on? Well, guess what? How about you, um, you know, study the methodology used for that free app <laughs> that yeah. that got 10 million users right in, in the in the first day, um, and, and had you know sort of a, an, a whole um, ecosystem around it with within you know no time at all. Mm -hmm. um, that's the model. That's the world in which we are suddenly now operating. And vendors are either going to enable those things right. or they are going to die. Yeah. No, I, I think the consumer technologies over the last decade, I would say since the iPhone came out and the subsequent apps, right? Um, they've certainly challenged traditional notions around software or user experience, um, uh, design, uh, all those things. And I think actually uh, we like that pressure because I think it has created a much better technology for the enterprise and just higher expectations, right? Um, by yeah. usability and performance and scalability and um, being a joy to use. Like, you know, those it's like st staring at those like gray, badly designed screens for like data input doesn't work right and doesn't save and you lose data. You lose, it's like none of that ever happened on Facebook or Instagram right. or <laughs> Pokemon Go. So it's like, why can't we have that in an enterprise? And I think that's pushing that. Google is is uniquely in a position to to you know to take that leap for us, yeah, right? They yeah. they are you know they're they actively started in the consumer space yes. and are actively you know taking ground in the enterprise space, and and that's um, you know I want them to win. I want them to make that transition because uh, you know it's not very common for a consumer company to kind of cross that chasm True. and 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 make it into enterprise space and also enterprise we make it hard right because we we're very we're highly regulated we mm -hmm. you know we we need cybersecurity we have all other you know sorts of challenges and yet um you know this current situation is just pushing on that it's yeah. just pressing on that and and bringing some pressure which means that now more than ever, um, as enterprises, we have this this uh, hope of this ability to make this transition to to a more equitable, 
uh, diverse, inclusive ecosystem of, yes. of technical capabilities that can support our, our diverse workforce and, and enable them to be productive, which is what IT is all about. There was, there was a time, you know, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. <laughs> yeah. Talk about yeah. inertia and how the incumbents have such an advantage. But yeah, this is the time, I think, to challenge all of that. And um, it's coming from all, all, all parts. And I think literally, I mean, you can, you can credit Apple with a lot of this because people didn't, you know, enterprise IT do not want to support iPads and iPhones. But you know what? When your CEO brings one in <laughs> yes. and comes to you and says, Wendy, make this work. <laughs> Like you can, you probably happened to you actually ten years ago. But, but Many times, yeah. or, or like, I guess that we're supporting this stuff. Or like my CEO, I, I will tell you, at uh, at GoPro, you know, our CEO uh, didn't often use a traditional computer. He only used an iPhone. Yeah. to do to conduct all of the business of the company so the challenge for us there was deliver application you know enterprise applications to the iphone uh seamlessly this was the yeah. iphone he kept losing uh all, all over the world actually of course always on no go yeah Jack right. dorsey uh, famously talks about this all the time uh, mm -hmm. he runs twitter uh you know and i think and uh, Square with just his iPhone, which is pretty remarkable. But yeah. uh, going back to the impact of the cultural impact, what, what I have found surprising, and it really warms my heart is, and I don't think it's unique to SADA, but it's, I certainly appreciate that it's there, is like the way that the teams did come together, what, either interdepartmentally or cross departments is like, um, it's it's actually remarkably amazing that a lot of folks feel closer to one another now than they did before. They're more collaborative than they did before. The remote experience could have very easily degraded to how we interact, you know, on, how people interact on Twitter with one another. It, it, could yeah. have, it could have gone in that direction, but I think surprisingly what we've seen is a coming together uh, with, with, different departments that don't always see eye to eye traditionally, whether it's sales and marketing or sales and sales ops or finance and legal, like whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of how we've come together. And I think other organizations have experienced the same. And I think part of it has to do with, to your point of like this very human experience that we're all going through. So the empathy level, I feel like generally has risen, but a lot of that has to come from the leadership within the organization, what, what are, what are the leaders in that organization modeling? Um, and so with that, I think you and I and others feel a tremendous amount of responsibility to kind of set the pace and the tone of what is, what is an unknown, um, thing we're going through with no, uh, clear end date of when the right. new normal will, will arise. Right. So it's interesting. And, um, really like surprisingly really positive that we are able to do a lot of the things we used to do slightly differently in some ways better. And I just find that remarkable technology has a lot to do with that without this type of technology 10 years ago would have been very difficult. Um, but it's, it's, it's remarkable what is possible to get done in this it, new environment. It is, it is. Um, and I think like, like we've been saying, um, so, so we, you know, we have 
tremendous capability now that we didn't have even 10 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, but with that great power comes great responsibility. We weren't the lawyers, we weren't the, um, you know, the HR department, um, you know, in many cases, we weren't even the product team or the marketing mm -hmm. team, you know, we were, we were the, um, social misfits who chose to work in the cold, <laughs> dark data centers and in our little cubicles on purpose. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and now we're in this position where, um, um, you know, we need to lead and, and we need to enable, um, things that that society has been struggling to to accomplish for a long long time so long we're coming we're, we're coming together which is amazing um and and we've done really well so far which is also amazing at the same time there are large um swaths of our global community and of our um local communities who are uh, left behind and left out yeah and and yeah. um you know our our society will not uh, will literally not survive correct um, if yeah. we don't find some way to ensure that that people are earning a living wage and are able to uh, take care of themselves and their families on a global scale yeah let's talk about that it's a it's a very important topic we've seen you know general trends around opportunity inequality income inequality I think for many years, uh, blatant racism, not so blatant racism for many years. And I've, we've tolerated to some extent, but I think because of where, I guess the, the RPMs on all of our collective psyche is running so hot right now that the level of tolerance for those things is really uh, changed, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and it's the first time that I'm seeing this level of discourse between people uh, of different backgrounds, um, who are not, who are, who are not themselves, uh, from certain communities or aren't, aren't black, um, themselves talking about the topic, but I think it's precisely what's required at this point. And again, being someone who's been a, a woman or for, for, who's been a woman for a very long time. <laughs> yes, uh, I have, <laughs> but, 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 but really risen through the ranks in technology at a time where it was particularly challenging and difficult and not not widely acknowledged acceptable even in your own parents as you said right their preconceived notions around what women could or could not do or should or should not do uh, me coming from an immigrant background which is also different uh than uh than maybe the traditional uh track but you know we've we've had like some level of empathy but I would argue maybe not enough proactivity around what role we could play in, in, in instilling permanent change and sustainable change outside of, I know your passions around Girls That Code and our passions around Spark and other programs and scholarships and certain things we do, but like, how do we ensure equality in terms of access to opportunity, diversity, and inclusion, which I've learned recently, the last year or so, they're two different things. They're not the same thing. Just because you're diverse doesn't mean you're inclusive. Mm -hmm. By the way, not because it's only the not only because it's the right thing to do, not only because society's tolerance for 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 the absence of those things is down to zero, but also I think we just for our for for the future of the country from a position of like economic prosperity, 
from 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 commercial success of companies like Nutanix, Sada, others. We need technology, what we control, the jobs we control, to be the safe and wonderful and amazing place for everyone to want to work in because we just don't have enough talent and we're not going to have enough talent. So how do we concurrently solve that issue, but in a way that's very deliberate about opening up access to, to those who generally have have not had it? Yeah, um, it's... This is a huge issue, uh, and, it, and it varies uh, somewhat by industry, by region, uh, by by um, you know age group, et cetera. However, um, one of the things I believe in is in um, using the tools and the um, capability and the access that you have. Uh, to do the best you can um, at, at whatever whatever level you're at, whatever position you're you're in. Uh, like you said, uh, for us, we're in the technology space, and um, you know, although I actively pursue um, diverse hiring and I actively uh, work to create um, and and support um, inclusive policies in my teams and and in the companies I'm associated with. Um, that's actually not my potentially my my most significant reach and and so uh, i've done a lot of thinking about how do we as as technologists ensure that this foundation that we are now providing to to commerce and society uh, is in itself uh, inclusive and and representative of um, all of the needs of, of all of its users. And this is something that um, starts with the maker. Um, so, you know, ultimately, um, you know, th there there is something about the the, the unique capabilities and skills and uh, DNA and energy of the maker that is reflected in what is made. Uh, mm -hmm. I you can tell uh, a Van Gogh from a Monet uh, mm -hmm. painting, right? Uh, because there's there's something unique about that. The same is to, true for the technologies and tools that we're making today. Right, right. And 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 so the fact is that um, the vast majority of technical engineers in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, for example, um, they're male. Uh, you know, like more than 90% of those of that population is male. Um, and more than 90% of them are age 45 or below. So they're young and they're male. And then a significant percentage of uh, uh, entry to mid-level engineers in Silicon Valley come from either India or uh, Asian countries such as China. And so in 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 huge numbers, the makers represent a very small um, segment of of a you know diverse humanity, mm -hmm. and and yet they have a disproportionate um, hand in making the tools that we're all using now because you know because they they're male doesn't make them bad by any means but it does mean that the that the what is made is going to uh, more proportionally 
um, be a reflection of, of their worldview of how right. they're thinking. It's just a thing. It's easy for me to say so. There are organizations like AI, AI that, that you know, track this statistically. But but what does that result in? I'll use something that's um, you know a, a wonderful like easy example for me. Um, I've had an iPhone for the past ten years, and uh, all that time I have been um, you know interacting with Siri, um, and and you know behind Siri is is some amazing machine learning and a little skosh of AI probably. Um, but you know in all that time. Um, I have had a daughter who's named Holly, H-O-L-L-Y, like the uh, the you know plant uh, with berries at, at the holidays. Right. Um, and whenever I say the word Holly, whenever I dictate the word Holly into my phone, um, the phone returns the spelling H-O-L-I, which which is the Indian holiday. Um, yeah. You know, it's been 10 years. At this point, I think Siri could have learned. Um, but the challenge right. with, with Siri is that um, the technology uh, didn't ever intend to actually take localized input um, and, and to augment um, uh, the machine with that input. Now, uh, you look at, uh, you know, Google Assistant and Google Assistant has those inputs built in. It, it, it's from a, a slightly later era. But look, um, if we don't create the potential and the capability for individuals to express preferences or to have differences, uh, and if we don't do that within our technologies, then those technologies will leave us behind. And ultimately, right. you know, if you, so for me, I, I rarely dictate to my iPhone anymore because it's I have to rewrite everything that I that I dictate in there. Right? It's incredibly frustrating. A lot of us mm -hmm. have felt that. Right. Um, but imagine if you are an elderly person who can no longer drive and you are, uh, you know, having a conversation with the NLP that's uh, driving your autonomous car. Right. Um, but, but, you know, your inflections are wrong or you're a little slow on the uptake and, and it doesn't understand you. Yeah. Well, then that, that technology that was, that was built with an intent to help, um, it, it, it's, it's, off limits. Right, and so, yeah. so we, we genuinely like right now where technology is, is being developed to, to, to create a foundation for commerce and for, uh, you know, education and for healthcare and for everything else in our society to move forward. We need to double down on our efforts right. to, to, to build it from a diverse and inclusive mindset and base. Yeah, I think the lack of diversity certainly hinders creativity, it hinders innovation. It's just inevitable. And it's not, to your point, it's not that, you know, white males or people of an Indian background or, or Asian background, it's not that they don't want to. It's that it's just that experience is impossible to replicate unless you are one of. It's yes. just the reality of it. So we definitely think about that deliberately at SADA. It's, it was somewhat deliberate to, to have a uh, a very uh, sort of uh, definitely have female representation on our board. We didn't intend to be all female. That kind of happened by accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, when you're looking for the best candidates, oh, right. I just did it. Yeah. I did it. I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it just happened to be. But, you know, we have more work to do. And um, we have some, some big announcements we're planning to do soon around a broader set of support. But even in doing things like the SADA University program, which takes uh, students from different backgrounds and puts them through a 
paid boot camp within the company such that they get placed on actual project delivery teams within three to six months, things like that. Uh, just And we've seen it in, turn, in teams, like our inside sales team is extremely diverse. And I'm telling you, the team that Billy and Matthew run are like the best performing team <laughs> as far as like, so on a, on a, on a you know, relational basis, because they're the most diverse team, um, right. culturally diverse, ethnically diverse. And it's just, it's so such an amazing place to see that, but we just, we need to do it in more places because technology and enterprise software and enterprise software sales particularly has been traditionally also very white, very male. And I think that is not the right formula for long-term sustainable differentiation, creativity, innovation um, over time. And I like that we are now talking about it, like very actively talking about it. Yeah, me too. And look, I've, I've met with your teams. I, I've, I've rumbled with your teams a little bit. Um, What's cool about a very diverse team is that people need to be able to represent themselves and speak up and and hash through uh, misunderstandings in order to move forward. And at the end of the day, um, that makes for a hungry and, and focused team. Um, that's a huge competitive advantage. And it's why yeah. SADA uh, stands you know, at the head of the class among Google partners because of that, that hunger and that energy that drives you. And, and by the way, even as a country in America, um, we believed in, in fueling the, the company's progress with the hunger of, of immigrants and, and, and yeah. homesteaders and people who, who yeah. had a reason to make progress. And, and, and so that's incredibly powerful. And it's that kind of energy that all companies are actually hoping to find. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so there's lots of good, you know, historical lessons as well. And then your company's living it out. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very energizing to see and to, and to be a small part of. I appreciate that. A bigger and bigger part of over time, uh, we're feeling that impact. But, uh, but it's, what's amazing is that, like, I'm a student of history because I was a philosophy major. That was my degree. And philosophy and history are very, you know, closely uh, aligned. Because when you study philosophy, you study philosophy over the history of time, right? And I think what's 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 unbelievable to me is, as an immigrant, like what got America to where it is today is precisely the broad acceptance of the best talent, regardless of background, mm -hmm. re regardless of nationality, and the amazing contribution of all ethnicities and different immigrant groups over time—Chinese and Irish. And obviously, with uh, with the African American population over time, not like a very a sore history still, right? But like, where would where would we be without all of that? Mm -hmm. We would not be what we are, right? And like, for people to be born here and forget that, <laughs> right? It Our just blows my mind. Our country was purpose built on those principles. Purpose it was built. purpose built, right? Um, th that was the design uh, of of yeah. the company, uh, of the country. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. Like we 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 cannot forget that. We cannot, um, uh, you know, look away from that. Um, even if it challenges us who have now been here for a while. 
yeah. right? Uh, it, it's interesting, right? You, you get comfortable, you get complacent, um, and then moments like this happen, and you know, uh, we get fearful. Look, look, you know, for me, the experience of being a leader, especially a visible leader, is one of um, you know, it's a fearful experience. Yeah. Um, I, there were so many things I used to be able to do that just, like, no one cared about, uh, and I could do them any slipshod way I wanted to. Yeah. Where, whereas, you know, now um, many things I do are on display. Uh, my my victories, but also my uh, my defeats and my mistakes. And you know, at the same time, um, the world is kind of. Uh, this place that you know, like if you don't hang on to your stuff, somebody else is going to take your stuff, and yeah. and and so there's a lot of fear right now. There's a lot of fear that you know among companies that we'll lose our competitive advantage um, or we'll lose revenue, and among people that you know uh, we will lose a, an advantage that somebody else's kids has, and mm-hmm. um, you know all of those things, right? That there won't be enough resources in the hospital. You know, someone else will be on a ventilator when I need a ventilator. Like it's. It's all about that right now. It's all mm-hmm. about this scarcity thing. Well, what we have without scarcity, you know, you and I, Tony, what we have without scarcity is um, is the ability, the capability of the people with with right. whom we're associated. And so, like, like we're the we are the digital transformation agents. You and me, right. like, yeah. we, we're the ones who have to enable that that transformation. Um, and and then you know what's what's great about you know chemical processes is like once once you start um, a, a you know a transformation process, um, it actually takes a lot to stop it. Yeah. Um, and and so you know we don't have to we don't have to do it all we just have to start it Um, and every now and then, you know, throw a little more, you know, of uh, of spice in in the fire. Right. And (laughs) and keep things going. Um, But, but that's what we have. That's the power we have. That's the tools we have in the toolbox is, is the people who are looking to us to, to direct them and to lead them. Um, everything else is scarcity and fear and yeah. uh, the unknown right now. But but I don't know about you, but I know about me, my people, my team, they are not an unknown to me. Mm-hmm. I I know them. Um, yeah. I, I, I even kind of love them, you know? Yeah, um, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. So especially now, like, especially yeah, right now. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. you know what? Like, um, you know, I trust them. Um, I, 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 put, I tell some people on my yeah. team, I love, I, I love you. I actually say, I love you. I do too. I do too. Weird, but... I know HR is going to fire us at some point, but yeah, we don't text, mean it in I that way. You. I say, I love you. My <laughs> wife is like, you say, I love you to a lot of people throughout the day. I'm like, I know, I re- but I really love them. <laughs> <laughs> but I really love you. Honey. Yeah. I really love a lot, a lot different love. But yeah. yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. Like that, that, but it's, it's okay. I think, I think a lot of leaders feel that emotion actually, because we yeah. really you can't you can't like care about your people 12 hours a day and then just go like ah well what the heck it's saturday i don't even know who you are (laughs) you you can't do that and and i i will add just a note of personal color i remember like the first text message i got from you 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 ended it with a little heart and i'm like huh and then my husband's like who's that so yeah (laughs) i do i I, we both do that though So yeah. yeah, may the uh, uh, podcast record show that we have uh, you know professional love for each other. That's right. 
Yes. Uh, love is a wonderful topic to end the podcast on. I think a lot of uh, the answers, right, uh, sort of lie in the in the in our ability to have the level of empathy to the degree that it creates love, whether it's for um, the problems we're trying to solve, love of the solutions, but really love of the people that are required to get us there in our own teams, at our customers, across teams. Um, and I really enjoyed having you as a guest. This is very uh, a special experience for me. I really thank you again for being a guest on the podcast, but but we're only six months into this journey, right, on, on our board. And I feel like, and it's been, as you know, it's been an amazing, scary, but amazing first half. And I just feel like the next five years are gonna be incredibly, exciting but also from the standpoint of our, our of our joint ability to contribute in a very positive way to our customers to our teams to the people that work at you know for our customers and the fact that we are able to gives me a high degree of um responsibility that i think that we have to so i feel duty bound to to serve in a very particular way in the midst of growing the business. And I think that combination is very, very powerful. And there's no other business I'd rather be in right now. Absolutely. And as a member of your board, I'll hold you to that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Wendy. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.